Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridget. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'll be your host for the next half hour. Now, the interview I have for you today is on a very fascinating book that I want to recommend to anyone who uh, followed the life of Christopher Eric Hitchens. Now, I would recommend it anyways because it's extraordinarily well-written, but I think that it's quite interesting that the second book written on Christopher Hitchens since he passed away several years ago was written by an evangelical Christian. It's by a man named Larry Alex Taunton. He's an American author, a columnist, and a cultural commentator. Uh, He's actually often on TV and radio, so many of you may be familiar with his work. He's been on CNN, CNN International, uh, Fox News, uh, BBC, and even Al Jazeera. He uh, often writes for The Atlantic and USA Today, as well as CNN and Glenn Beck's outfit over at The Blaze. He's also been quoted by the New York Times. Uh, He's been quoted by Rush Limbaugh. So he's a a cultural figure in his own right, and especially in the circles that I run in and that many of my listeners run in. Uh, His name may have come up before. But that being said, I was still surprised when this book uh, came out, or, or more accurately, when I heard this book was coming out, I've been waiting for it to uh, to be released to stores for quite some time, because uh, I read Christopher Hitchens' work. I found him a, a fascinating writer. I thought that his book, uh, Hitch 22, uh, his autobiography, was extraordinarily written and just a very interesting account of a lot of different events. And I also found his relationship with a lot of Christians very interesting, especially uh, Reverend Douglas Wilson. Uh, Many of you may be familiar with the documentary Collision, um, and his relationship with with Francis Collins, the geneticist. Uh, These friendships actually crop up uh, in his book, uh, the final book that he wrote that was published posthumously, uh, which is a book, Mortality. Actually, uh, I'll correct that. His final book, uh, maybe, who knows, uh, these days, was a book uh, called And Yet, a book of essays uh, that was just published. I picked it up uh, at Cole's uh, just a few weeks ago. But he, he writes in these books about his friendships with Christians, and now uh, there's a Christian returning the favor. And Larry Alex Taunton is writing a book called The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, The Soul, the Restless Soul of the World's Most Notorious Atheist. I, I highly recommend it to all of you, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Larry Alex Taunton. So just to start off, what has the reaction to your book been so far? You know, it has been remarkable, Jonathan. Um, the reaction to the book... Uh, has been uh, for it to get high praise from both left and right, and uh, and that's very unusual. I mean, uh, um, uh, you have Ravi Zacharias endorsing this book, um, Eric Metaxas, best-selling author, Christian, endorsing the book. But you know, two days ago, I'm on Hardball, MSNBC's Hardball, with Chris Matthews, and Chris Matthews said this book is beautifully written and that everyone should read it. You know, it's, it's not often you're going to have Ravi Zacharias and Chris Matthews endorsing the same book. <laughs> no, not at all. And I've seen uh, that people like Douglas Wilson, who also knew him, said that he ran out of superlatives trying to compliment your book. Yes, uh, you know, and, and uh, that was particularly pleasing to me because I've never met Doug Wilson. I've never talked to Doug Wilson. I've never so much as exchanged an email or a text with him. And, uh, and that was deliberate on my part. I knew that he had a relationship with Hitchens that was very similar to my own. Um, uh, but I, I didn't want his memories of Christopher 
to um, influence my own. And so I, and once the book was out there, I was, I was particularly curious to hear what Doug Wilson would think of it. And I found it very validating that, that, that Wilson's review um, uh, and his experiences, I mean, he was so gracious, as you say, to say that this book was, uh, he said, I wish other Christian books were like this book. It's, it's top drawer. But I also found it validating that, that he said that the Christopher Hitchens that Larry Taunton debated and uh, took road trips with is the same Christopher Hitchens that I knew. You know, what was, what's interesting is that, as you know, Christopher Hitchens had a lot of friends and fans uh, who were unlike him and that they actually did despise Christians and actually did you know, despise Christianity. In more I of, see them on Twitter all the time. I was going to say, from, <laughs> in more of a visceral way than a rhetorical way, have any of, sure. of his other friends responded to your book yet? Because I think that you're the second person uh, to write a book on Hitchens since he passed away. Yes, um, the other book um, that you're referring to, I think, is called Unhitched. Yes. And, uh, and that book was, a, uh, was an assault uh, on Christopher Hitchens. This this book is not, you know, Book List, which is, you know, Slate Magazine calls one of the four big reviewers you've never heard of that determines what you read. Book List called this book loving. Right. And I uh, gave it a coveted starred review, and uh, I'm so grateful for that. But as to your question, uh, Michael Shermer, who is a well-known atheist who I've debated three times, Michael Shermer um, endorsed this book. Uh, and, and not because he agrees with everything that I say. Uh, certainly he doesn't agree with my, my theology at all. Um, but um, he recognized that this book was a, a fair-minded um, and uh, a compassionate account of a relationship between two people. You know, so I have not written... This isn't a biography of Christopher Hitchens, though it ha- does have some, if I may put it this way, um, a bit of intellectual biography, mm-hmm. uh, a bit of spiritual biography of, um, of Christopher Hitchens. In other words, you don't have to have known who Christopher Hitchens was to enjoy this book. I catch you up to speed on who he was. Born in 1949, um, age uh, of 15, it, it, in 1964, he literally burned his Bible and be, um, declared himself an atheist, became a communist. You name the leftist cause between 64 and September 11th of 2001, and he was there. His life was very predictable. But something deep went off inside Christopher after 9-11, and he, he broke with the left politically uh, and said, look, I can no longer go along with this narrative that says that America deserves uh, what it got on September 11th and uh, is responsible for all the evil in the world. It's just sheer nonsense. Uh, and then he coddled back up to the left, when he wrote a book in 2007, a bestseller that many in your audience may recall, it was a, a book called God is Not Great, mm-hmm. How Religion Poisons Everything. And so people on the left thought, ah, oh, this is the Christopher Hitchens we remember. Right. Now, Christopher Hitchens is back. Uh, the great irony in this, Jonathan, is that it's, that book launched Christopher on a bit of a spiritual journey. And, and, and that's when I met him. Uh, that's when I got to know him. And, and why is that? Why would a book attacking God launch him on a journey uh, um, to discover God? Uh, well, it was this. Part of, his, part of Christopher's book promotion, he told his publicist, he told his, his, um, his uh, uh, publisher, 
the way he wanted to promote the book was to um, issue a challenge to religious people to debate. You come out and debate me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to expose you people for what you are. I'm going to give you the drubbing you deserve. Well, Christopher would discover that um, Muslims didn't debate. Right. Uh, so he didn't have those de- debates. Um, no Mormons took him up um, in debate. Uh, very few Jews took him up in debate. He said the people who tilted against him most, which surprised him, were evangelical Christians. He said that they, they were ready to take up that challenge and did, and I was one of them. And, uh, and Christopher began to engage, for the first time in his, in his life, he was engaging evangelical Christians, and he discovered that in many instances he liked them. Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting because what I, your book reads actually like like a memoir of friendship to some degree, and it reminded me of what it is. his best friend Martin Amos said, which was that at the end of the day, uh, if you had to pin Christopher Hitchens to an ideology, it was that of friendship. And y- yes, Amos said that right. So when you, when you wrote this book, uh, and I know that a, a couple of the reviewers have mentioned it, and you talk about struggling with it. What made you decide to write the book at the end of the day? Because in your mind, you, you were close friends. You know, in any real friendship, there's an implicit trust that takes place. Uh, sure. And at the end of the day, you, you sort of struggled with whether or not to write it, and then eventually decided for it. Tell us about uh, that struggle. Yeah, um, I, you know, uh, part of the struggle was I, I, I think I misunderstood what my editor wanted initially. I mean, my editor told me, hey, why don't you write a book about Christopher Hitchens? And I, I took that to mean a biography, and I thought about it, and I thought, that, that will just be an exercise in, in self-flagellation. I, I will hate that. Right. <laughs> you know, I thought, you know, it'll, it, biographies, at least the good ones, have some elements of surprise. Um, and, you know, there was no surprise in Christopher's biography between 1949, when he was born, and 2001. Not, not really. Uh, his life, I mean, again, there would be no surprises on, gosh, what, 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 what side of the, um, um, the Vietnam War will he take, or what will be <laughs> yeah. his opinion on Ronald Reagan? I mean, it would, it would be too predictable. Um, and the other thing was, I, I didn't want to reveal... Um, you know, betray any confidences the way um, friends of celebrities so often do. But my publisher said, look, I'm not wanting a biography, and I'm not asking you to tell a salacious tell-all. Can you instead focus on your relationship with Christopher Hitchens uh, and tell us how it is that an evangelical Christian and a fire-breathing, Molotov cocktail-tossing atheist can be friends. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought, you know, a book like that would be very timely um, in a world where we're increasingly factionalized, where there's all this talk of tolerance and diversity, and yet there's none. Uh, And um, I also thought uh, that there was a way of telling the story that was that was fair and compassionate to Christopher. And so what has been thrilling to me is, you know, I've been expecting people on the left, and there will be some on the left who are, you know, just militant. They, they, uh, they I, I, I haven't read the book. They're not going to read the book, mm-hmm. and they'll go on Amazon, or they'll, you know, and trash it in reviews, or they'll, you know, they'll light up my Twitter feed, because they're just, they're just, their hatred of God blinds them. Um, 
But there are other, more reasonable people on left and right who have read this book, and, uh, uh, and hence the reason Chris Matthews, who is hardly of, of my ideological stripe, right. I mean, he's not an evangelical conservative, but Chris Matthews read this book, and he was a friend of Christopher Hitchens, and he says, Larry, this book is beautiful. It is beautiful. You've written beautifully about a man who only wrote beautifully. Thank you for giving us this book. So to me, uh, that means I've achieved it. I have, I have managed to walk the line uh, between saying too much or too little. What are some of the things the opponents are saying to you about this book when they light up your Twitter? Well, thing? what cracks me up, um, Jonathan, is, uh, again, people who haven't read it, um, uh, of the militant atheist crowd, uh, they will say that I make all kinds of claims in this book that I don't make. Um, Lady Hope of Carradine, uh, known to history uh, as the woman who, who claimed, she was a Christian evangelist, and she claimed in 1915, 32 years after Darwin's death, death that Darwin um, converted on his deathbed. Right. Now, there was little to no evidence to support this claim. Um, she made the claim, and to this day I hear people repeating it. In fact, today um, someone said it to me that, you know, it's interesting that Darwin converted on his deathbed. Well, there's no evidence to support that claim. Mm-hmm. Um, I make no Lady Hope-like claims regarding Christopher Hitchens. I wasn't there when he died, and, uh, and his wife, Carol Blue, um, who I think is a credible witness, she says that uh, she saw no evidence um, of a deathbed conversion. That is, if he converted, he, he never spoke of it. And I believe her. Um, so I am not making any claims of a, of a deathbed conversion here. Rather, what I am saying, and this is enough to get the God-hating crowd foaming at the mouth, what I do say is that Christopher Hitchens was a very different man off the stage than he was on it. And Christopher Hitchens off the stage at the end of his life, after he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, which he knew to be a death sentence, Christopher was searching, and he was, yes, he was even evaluating, contemplating conversion to Christianity. Now, who did you all talk to uh, about this book? Because you do write a lot about him, and you quote from his writings, you quote from his uh, autobiography, Hitch 22, uh, and then, of course, you draw on your own experiences with him. But uh, in order to research for this book, did you talk to Carol Blue? Did you talk to Peter Hitchens? Who were the other sources you consulted? Yeah, I, I draw most heavily um, on my own experiences. I mean, the book is ultimately about my relationship with Christopher Hitchens. So, I, you know, I'm a primary source on that. Yeah. Um, uh, beyond that, I rely heavily upon the public record. Um, Christopher's own writings, uh, what other people wrote about Christopher, and uh, and, and Peter Hitchin, uh, who I interviewed um, at length regarding this book. Um, uh, so th- those are those are the sources, and the reason for that is, of course, I mean, the book, as I say, is mostly about my recollections, my interactions with Christopher Hitchens, but I also wanted to stick to the public record in, in part because um, a, a way of determining what Christopher would or wouldn't find um, deeply personal and offensive is, is what he himself spoke of. And so there's a lot of things that I included in this book 
that I would not include if I were writing about any other person I know because they're they're too embarrassing. But Christopher wasn't easily embarrassed. Right. And Christopher spoke of a great many things, um, uh, like his sexual liaisons, um, publicly quite frequently, and therefore I felt those were fair game. Mm-hmm. Were you nervous when the book was published? Oh, gosh, uh, any writer is always nervous with any book, uh, with any article. Um, you know, I write uh, some for USA Today, for The Atlantic, um, and a great many other um, publications. And any author, particularly when you write on the sorts of things that I do, you know, I, I'm not simply a, uh, you know, writing movie reviews or, um, you know, restaurant reviews. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing on, on, uh, on issues, uh, hot-button cultural issues, uh, things that people are very passionate about. And um, uh, so, yeah, sure, in writing a book like this, uh, you know, the great um, Pulitzer Prize-winning author of the previous century, Samuel Elliott Morrison, he once said that, um, that uh, any, any uh, work you have authored um, when it is published, is a little like sending a, 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 your child into the world to be scrutinized um, <laughs> by others. Right. And uh, there's, there's truth in that. So, yeah. So how did your friendship with Christopher Hitchens develop? You, uh, you often mentioned that he kept two sets of books, public books and private yes. books. There was the public man, and then there was the private man who... Who, who acted very, very differently. So how did this personal relationship between yourself and the world's most notorious atheist develop? Uh, you know, um, what I do for a living is um, I am a freelance writer, um, author, speaker, uh, but I specialize in addressing issues of faith and culture. I mean, at the end of the day, I had a ministry. Uh, that ministry is called Fixed Point Foundation. And... Um, you know, some in your audience may be familiar with our work. We've mm-hmm. done um, debates with some of the most vociferous critics of Christianity in the world. We did a Super Bowl commercial on one occasion on my previous book, The Grace Effect, um, chronicles some of these things. And uh, and so Christopher, when he published in 2007, God is Not Great, uh, you know, he came on my radar, and um, I began watching... Uh, him um, and listening um, to reading the things he was saying, seeing that he was getting an awful lot of oxygen um, with these views in uh, prominent places in the media, uh, I identified him as a guy that that we wanted to go after, and so I didn't I didn't, I didn't see Christopher as somebody that I would develop a friendship with. I saw I saw Christopher Hitchens as a guy whose arguments I wanted to defeat. Right. Then I met him, and um, uh, Christopher and I uh, immediately got on with one another, and um, uh, we liked each other. Uh, and uh, while he was still, you know, saying all these things, you know, publicly about about my God, um, I nonetheless um, sought to to develop um, a relationship with him, a friendship, and those are the things that I talk about at length in this book the faith of Christopher Hitchens. And you see, at the end of the day, Christopher Hitchens did have a faith. Everybody does. Right. Um, we all believe in something. Now, that something might be um, Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump, 
Uh, it might be your 401k, it might be your girlfriend, or it might be in God. But, but Christopher Hitchens had a faith, and his faith was not atheism. What would you say his faith was? Well, uh, that, that's giving away too much of the book. So I'll, I'll just say that uh, readers will want to read the faith of Christopher Hitchens to, to discover precisely what that is. But it, it, uh, let me put it this way. If Christopher Hitchens is, you know, because somebody might be listening and go, oh, his faith was atheism. I mean, that is what defined him. Oh, oh no, it didn't. If Christopher Hitchens is a lock, uh, and you're trying to, to un- unlock him with uh, uh, the atheist key, the tumblers don't line up. It doesn't work. I mean, because how can you explain his friendships with people like me, with uh, uh, the pastor and theologian Douglas Wilson, um, celebrated evangelical Christian and geneticist Francis Collins, someone someone who Christopher Hitchens called one of the greatest living Americans. How how can you explain that? Uh, how can you explain him going on Bill Maher's show? Bill Maher, right. uh, who is also a, a prominent atheist, and for whom Christopher Hitchens was a bit of a hero, and who no doubt thought in having Christopher on his show that the two of them would be ideological soulmates. What does Christopher do? He goes on Mars' show, um, he, he attacks Mars, and then when uh, Mars' audience begins to boo, Christopher gives them a middle finger and says, F you, to the whole audience. And when they keep booing, he says, F you again. And then what does he do? He defends the George W. Bush administration. Right. Now, you, you begin to see the problem, and see, these are things that atheists have written off as just Christopher's contrarianism. Right. Well, Christopher wasn't simply being contrary. Actually, there was a kind of logical consistency with Christopher, and those are the things I unpack in this book. Do you think anyone might say that the reason Christopher Hitchens was friends with Christian intellectuals is because he w- enjoyed being intellectually stimulated and had an enormous capacity for friendship? Because, of course, he was also friends with William F. Buckley, and Christopher Buckley talks about him singing hymns at his father's funeral, and I always think of the friendship between G.K. Chesterton and and George Bernard Shaw, where I believe it was George Bernard Shaw who was the first one to contact uh, Chesterton's widow after his death to offer assistance. Do you think some might say that that explains it? Uh, Well, certainly that's an element of it. Um, I mean, George Bernard Shaw was certainly one of the um, (laughs) God-haters of all time. Um, but uh, uh, Hitchens was more complex than that. Uh, yes, friendship, as you say, Martin Amos says that you know that that, that friendship was his ideology. That, there's truth in that. There's a, there's a lot of truth in that. And did Christopher like and enjoy um, being stimulated um, ideologically uh, um, and in conversation? Yes, Christopher did not like boring conversation. Hated it. Didn't give it a, a moment's thought. But there was more to it than that. Um, now, I would say that what you're telling, what you, what you are saying, was true of Christopher prior to his diagnosis with esophageal cancer. Right. Meaning, you know, he probably enjoyed somebody like me or Collins or whoever um, uh, in 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 that light. But after his diagnosis with cancer, that was a game changer for Christopher, as it would be for any of us, by the of way. Course, of course. Because Christopher knew, he knew that his cancer was a death sentence. He knew that. 
he was staring eternity uh, in the face. And, uh, and so it changed the tenor of the conversations with Christopher. It, it changed them quite a lot. Suddenly it wasn't just, um, uh, you know, fun and games. It wasn't just intellectual banter. Suddenly you had this sense of urgency with him that Christopher was, um, was thinking deeply on, on, on the question of whether or not the biblical claim that there is a God and that he stands to judge us in the next life for our actions in this one, and therefore reward us with heaven or punish with punish us punish uh, excuse me um, with hell. That these were issues that Christopher was thinking on deeply, and hence the reason the two of us would drive after he was diagnosed with cancer from his home in D.C. to mine in Birmingham, Alabama, a seven hundred and fifty-one mile drive in one day. Um you know, 13 hours, and we would study the Gospel of John together. And then a month later, he would do it again, and this time through Yellowstone National Park. And you said it was interesting for yourself as a Southern Evangelical to be studying the Bible, uh, you know, with a notorious atheist while he had his whiskey and his cigarettes on the go at the same time. <laughs> That's right. How many Bible studies have you been to, Jonathan, where, where, where whiskey is on offer? None that I can think uh, of. Uh, yeah, well, that's what made this so very interesting. Um, and by the way, I'm so disappointed. Um, this book is available everywhere except, Jonathan, in Christian stores. Why is that? In Christian stores. And it's because Christian stores have become, I mean, I, I am about as conservative as it gets as an evangelical Christian. But because this book describes a relationship with a man who was not a Christian and who drank whiskey and who who use profanity fairly regularly, Christian stores are nervous to carry it. And, uh, and that's too bad. That, that speaks badly of the Christian community. It's, it's sort of whitewashing a world and trying to make it something that, that it isn't and never has been. The reality is that we as Christians have to be willing to get out of our, uh, our, our, our Christian subcultural bubble and engage people on the other side, and doing so with gentleness and respect as First Peter 3.15 tells us to do. Well, they're banning your book. I can only assume that Augustine's Confessions are next. It's far more scandalous. Yeah, well, there we go. I mean, I mean, the Gospel Coalition compared this book to mere Christianity, saying this book is an instant classic. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm hardly uh, a, uh, you know, the, the, the caricature uh, of, of anything, um, probably, but certainly not a liberal Christian. I would agree. Like, and and as you went on these road trips with Christopher Hitchens, you know, after he passed away, what were one or two of the memories you looked back on to comfort yourself at the passing of your friend? Do you say to comfort me? Yes. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think I need comfort in uh, in this. Uh, uh, and, and let me explain what I mean by that. Your your question is a good question, and I I don't mean to make it sound like it isn't. Uh, but let me let me explain what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. Many atheists, as I was indicating earlier, uh, you know, they'll see me on MSNBC. They'll 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 see me on Fox News, which I I, I did both in the last couple of days. Uh, they'll hear me on a on a big radio station, and they'll hear me say, "Not that Christopher Hitchens converted." I have no way of knowing that. Right. I, I can't. I I don't have a window into his or anyone else's soul. Rather, my, the, the, the heart of my thesis is that Christopher Hitchens 
was contemplating conversion. And their faith, the militant atheist crowd's faith, and it is a faith, by the way, mm-hmm. is, is so brittle that they go apoplectic over that. Now, why is that? Because they need to believe that Christopher Hitchens died a confident atheist, that he stared eternity in the, in the eye, and then he said, I will not yield because I really don't believe there's, there's, there's a God. They, they need to believe that. I don't need that kind of comfort about Christopher Hitchens, meaning I didn't need Christopher's conversion to feel good about my own faith uh, or to feel good about the claims of Jesus Christ, because I've never doubted them. I didn't need Christopher Hitchens' conversion um, in order to give me some, to, to put a, a celebrity scalp on my belt. Um, I didn't need that. Um, the reality is I knew full well in talking to Christopher and is sharing my faith with him, that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, um, uh, Christopher um, knew that I was pursuing his soul as a hound from heaven, um, because I cared about Christopher. Mm-hmm. Because if, I, if you believe, any Christian who's listening to this interview, if you believe that the Bible is true, if you believe that anyone dying in an unrepentant state will be judged and will be sent to hell, then, then, then how can you sit on your hands and not share your faith with other people? How can you do that? And so for me, my pursuit of Christopher um, was, was driven by a, a compassion for him. That said, at the end of the day, I, I also know, and I trust in the sovereignty of God, that that I can do only so much, you know, to, to use a cliche, you, you take a horse to water, you can't make you drink. Right. You know, all I could do is reveal the, the truth of the gospel to Christopher, and, and then he has to make his own choice, you know, regarding it. Um, but I, 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 I don't leave a relationship like that, feeling like if that person rejects what is on offer, that I have somehow failed, because I recognize that at the end of the day, I, I don't have any power to make anyone believe anyway. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. Well, Larry, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Delight to be with you.